Welcome back to the High Five Podcast with Darren and Duncan, and I'm Darren. I'm Duncan. And uh, we're going to be talking about input and output impedances today. Um, but uh, before we get to that, uh, we're going to be updating you guys, as we always do, with our audio situation. And so, Duncan, what's new with you with your system? Oh, man. Uh, plenty, as as almost every week it is, you know. And uh, we talked about recently that um, I was in this stage of, of tweaking this uh, system after having moved in in, in February, um, tweaking the system where I'm down to the really little changes, um, you know, fuses, power cables, isolation, um, what else? Um, mostly just stuff like that. I did some, I did some new input cabling from the XLR jacks to the spots on the board where they go. Um, but yeah, most recently the uh, adjustments have been with a power cable and it's been, Oh, and where I was going with that, it's just, it's been so great to have a system that is so dialed in that I can hear every single change and you can too. I mean, you've been over, um, we had a great session on Thursday, actually. Um, both of us had a day off of work and, um, you know, we were, we were listening to code loads. We were listening to power cables. We were, you know, um, making adjustments. You started soldering in your new capacitors. I cut a hole in my amp and installed an IEC jack. Um, so let's talk about it. Um, let's talk about, let's see, let's talk about with, at least with what's going on with me. Let's talk about the power cables because I had made a power cable and I talked about it and it was in this helix style that was put forth by Steve Reeve online with his website, um, image 99.net. And if you go to his, I think it's my audio alchemy, um, off of the front page, you get to all of his, uh, his blog with his designs and stuff. This is the one with the doubled up neutral cable. Doubled neutral, both the neutral and the ground spiral around in tight spiral around the live signal. Yeah. That, it, it's just an odd design to me. I, says, I haven't gotten it yet. Yeah, the double the yeah. double neutral is where you're having the, yeah, I'm the having toughest trouble part. with it. Yeah. And he says that sonically to him, and this is all, your, your mileage may vary you yeah. know, because you start uh, learning about other parts of his system, you know, you, you may have your, your different opinions or opinions change when you find like DIY recipes online, they claim certain things you have to take it with a grain of salt, try to understand in what context does this actually sound like that? But you, you do, I think before any of that come to a, a conclusion about, about whoever you're reading. And mm-hmm. if, if somebody is saying, this is a great recipe, this thing sounds great. You try to verify, is this guy trustworthy? Well, the things he said that it does every single one it did in my system. Um, so I'm start beginning to trust the guy. He has a different system and different equipment than I do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm thinking about this as a viable power cable design as I'm going to try to make some interconnects this way. I'm just going to kind of keep exploring, but essentially it was enough for me to try it and it's not an expensive DIY cable. So, um, I tried it with that one cable that was the red and, and, green cable that on the DAC actually lifted the resolution quite a bit, a substantial increase in resolution on the DAC. But then you made a second one. 
I made a second one while you were listening to the system. You were like rolling through some some uh, the library here and. Did you um, double the really neutral quick, on that? Really quick, I made it. No, I didn't. You didn't. Because I didn't have enough cable. And that one sounded better. Yes. Well, the thing is, is the other one had uh, cryo-treated silver-plated copper as the mm-hmm. neutral on the ground. This one, um, I'm actually getting my cryo-treated silver-plated copper for the source power cable tomorrow. And I got all the other stuff pre, you know, last week. Yeah. And so because I, I'm, you know, a petulant child, I can't wait. And so I had to make a cable, you know, just as a like a hold holding spot uh, to, and you know, to, to work and get this, uh, I guess, the live conductor burned in a little bit um, before my stuff come on, came on Tuesday. Now, I don't want to install that silver plated copper. Maybe it's fine. Maybe I have to listen more to the silver plated copper is my, is my point. Um, because... You and I were listening to a bunch of power cables on the DAC. You brought a Shinyata um, Hydra Helix. Helix. Yeah. Not uh, Hydra. That's their power conditions. Uh, alpha Helix. Alpha. Yep. And, um, and alpha means it's alpha processed so that it's like cryo-treated and demagnetized. And then Helix uh, describes the geometry, I believe. And it's a digital cable, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and then you brought a JPS Labs. I had an HC12 from PS Audio. I had a stock power cable. I have like uh, like a couple things. And so we were just um, picking good tracks. I think we used a Colin Curry and uh, Steve Reich track with. Yep. Was it marimbas or is it vibraphones? Uh, it's a it's a piece with two marimbas yeah. and two vibraphones. So it was like pieces of wood, is what it's called on the album, right? Uh, it's track three. I don't remember yeah, what it's, it's called. Like, I think it's, it's like, it's music, like pe- for wo- music for two uh, marimbas and it two might, might say vibraphones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it's great. It's really revealing of these chi- type of changes. You know, it shows mm-hmm. us immediately where if there's any frequency spectrum changes where that happens and all kinds of stuff. Lots of attacks. So it's like a like crisp attacks. So you can really hear that stuff. Um, that album is great because you have clapping too you know you have like the it, it really is yeah like 16 minutes of clapping yeah yeah it's yeah. great it can also be like too much but uh it's it's very cool because they have the music for marimbas <clears throat> there's like fast slow and fast right right those are the three tracks yeah um so i'm just saying that the clapping is extremely good for for like figuring oh. out stuff in your system Oh, that clap actually, is, that's is one of the best things that you can, most well, revealing things you can hear through your system other than a voice probably. Well, let's talk about that for a second because that is my go-to for when I'm trying to understand quickly yeah. a change in my system. It tells I, you a lot. I go to the um, Hadouk Trio uh, album Baldem- mm-hmm. Baltimore. And, uh, listen to the crowd. And I listen to that track. It's later on. It's parasol track uh one or something like that and um yeah it opens and um and there's some clapping and i know that things are good when that clapping is so natural it kind of like reminds me makes me feel like i'm there um and i think clapping is we have we talked about this on the podcast just one of those things that's really hard to yeah i wouldn't be surprised whether we mentioned correctly. it but i it's a huge thing for me i'm listening yeah. for clapping and how natural claps are and i have recordings that you know i've heard sound really realistic and when i hear them not sound realistic 
I know that something is going on. Yeah. Something, something is, is, uh, man, you can have like pretty realistic sound on instruments and then the audience claps and you're just like, whoa, that's not, you know what I mean? I mean, I think you also have to be set up to record the audience well. Because what if you had just, I, I, and I'm just talking here. What if you just had like a recording with stage mics only? You know, clapping's going to sound not like it is necessarily in the, yeah. in the stage. Given a recording that you can hear it sound natural and you also can hear it not sound natural, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. So this, yeah, the Parasol Blank, uh, it's track. Oh gosh, these aren't numbered in my my phone app of of Rune. But anyway, Parasol Blank, uh, Hadouk Trio, uh, the the album Baltimore, which is their um, live album. Um, yeah, so I can Im- immediately tell the difference. Anyway, so we were listening to these cables. It was clear as day. It's really cool that something like a power cable is clear as day. Um, but we were hearing it on the DAC and the amp. Yeah. And uh and yeah that the that new cable that I made was better which which didn't have a double neutral and I you know didn't I think that double. you need to test that out is it the fact that you removed the other neutral Yeah so I'm going to have to take this other cable it's probably easier than making a new cable <clears throat> is just taking taking one neutral off just snip yep. it I think it's worth uh trying that out you know just to cross yeah. that off the list Yep you know but anyways yeah you, you built this other cable that cable came it came close to the Shinyata did uh the 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 one that i was making while you were listening yeah Mm -hmm. the other day yeah yeah it actually did so here's the thing i used on the neutral in the in the ground i used just bulk cable that i found at lowe's you know um 12 gauge i think and it's like something like 20 strands of relatively thicker gauge Mm -hmm. copper strands but most importantly for this design it holds its shape and so I'm able to spiral it with a drill around a rod and then run the the live conductor through and it kind of holds its tube shape and acts so as you built a that shield. thing like you've built like 10,000 of them. I slammed it out. Just, yeah. So, um, yeah, anyways, it was better than the uh, JPS Labs and... Um, and the and the uh, AC-12. So, yeah, that's, that's a cool... It was um, very c- c- um, encouraging. Yeah, it was. Well, because... Power cable is one of those things where not only had I not yet had a system where they were really obvious, I also didn't have uh, a proponent telling me you really got to try power cables. Like you've said that power cables is your favorite tweak. Yeah. And well, now uh, I understand. In, for cables. For cables. Yeah. For, oh, yeah, for, cables. oh, for cables. Okay. Yeah. It's my favorite tweak when it comes to cables. Yeah. I like this, the wholesale change that it, that it, brings yeah and 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 it seems to me like it's like once you get your system dialed up to cables it's almost like you can just switch out the cables to have different flavors Mm -hmm. of your system instead of anything else that's more that's i don't know interconnects and stuff like that anyway my favorite tweak is beer (laughs) it always makes everything sound better fair enough fair enough nice craft beer brewed locally yep so yeah, that, those sounded great. Uh, my system's sounding ridiculous. It's more revealing than it's ever been before. Um, it's got it's got this bloom still on the mids. Um, gosh, it's just so good. So yeah, I've been enjoying that. That's I think awesome. that's all the changes I went through. Um, what about you? You've got some. News. Yeah, I I do I do. So I've been like holding this one out because I've wanted to build it before, you know, gushing. But uh, <laughs> well, you because about it actually. It a 
it actually turned turned out exactly the way I wanted it to turn out, which is this wall mounted uh turntable shelf and uh you know I was hoping that it would completely isolate the turntable from my floor and uh and i I you know didn't have full confidence that it would you know I know it would help the isolation and that it would uh, be better than anything mounted to the ground. Like even if I stacked 400 pounds of concrete on the ground, I know that the wall mount solution would be, would be better. Uh, But what I found is that basically I can jump right beside the turntable and I don't hear anything through the subs even. So it's extremely good. I mean, you want to, so what I did was I bought some L brackets off of Amazon. Damn, dude, I'm looking at this. We're we're gonna have to throw this picture up on the systems page. So yeah, and I didn't even this. really spend a whole lot of money on it. So L brackets on Amazon, uh, and then uh, they're basically meant for uh, wall mounting countertops, you know, in kitchens. Um, so they're like thousand pound test uh, uh, steel L brackets, and then I bought some small kitchen countertop chunks from a, uh, a a wood manufacturer online and uh and then i mounted uh, 70 durometer sorbethane between the the l bracket and the wood and then torqued those down with screws so i put weight on the 70 durometer it was only like a eighth inch 70 durometer so you need hundreds of pounds to compress that correctly so the you thinner can really it is on that. what you were saying to me is is the more pounds required to compress it to its Correct. optimal yep. compression yep. yeah um and so <clears throat> so i did that and then i put isoacoustic uh uh isopucks uh on top of that top wood yeah, shelf the, yeah. and then i put another uh identical piece of wood on top of that and then my turntable and cool, man. highly effective if you're having any issue with feedback through the floor on your turntable, you are, you know, just a few hundred dollars away from having an awesome uh, wall mount shelf for your turntable. And I just uh, really highly recommend it because I am so stoked on the outcome. I, I've never had a scenario where I've never had a concrete slab and a turntable setup. So I've never had a situation where, you know, the floor does not interact with the turntable at all. Yeah. So it's a nice feeling. It's uh, like relieved anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> and just to remind people, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, if you knew the podcast, one of the things that um, Darren was doing is is uh, setting up this giant audio rack um, and in, in his own style here, it's just beautiful. But... um. But this particular thing uh, was very calculated to mount the tone to turntable to the to the studs. Um, effectively, his floors are these big trampolines. I mean, you you kind of bounce in the middle of mm-hmm. the floor, and it just booms, you know. And mm-hmm. and so um, the thought of messing with all that and trying to trying to deal with what what you can think of as super low frequency vibrations and or dc which is what you always say which is like footsteps well, it's like kind directly of like... coupled to the floor so that the, the oh idea... is that what you mean by dc well yeah it's di- like it's like current? yeah it's like the fact that 
that you can put anything on that floor and you're still going to move it. So you need to get yeah. off the floor. You know, yeah. like I said, you can put 400 pounds of concrete and it would still move. Yeah. So, and, or you could just wall mount your turntable to your wall. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the the walls are where you're going to have the the lowest low frequency resist uh, uh, vibrations. Residence, uh, you're going to have a in that room. You are going to have like a mid range residence. Um, yes, and it's easily killed via the. That's what the sorb stands for. That's what the isoacoustics and kills the two, it. Two, yeah. Yep. That's very cool, man. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'm just uh, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier. So it's a DIY project that's really uh been long in the making because i've been uh i had a weight on the wood and then um i actually bought the wrong l brackets i ended up wanting um a different size l bracket but then it turned out just uh yeah exactly the way i uh, i hoped it would and um and i'm just so relieved not having that issue of feedback i'm sure there's people listening right now that know exactly what i'm talking about yeah. so I'm looking forward to it. So that's my main update because cool. uh, I'm totally stoked. And uh, and otherwise, you are um, still working on the next software for the direct stream code. Yes, and we're about two weeks out from releasing a new OS right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to be coming out for direct stream senior and junior. Um, junior will also get a, a new OS. Can you tell us the name, um, or is that under? Um, I am. I'm not sure. I'm hush, not hush. sure if it's if it's something that's 100 percent in stone yet. So oh, okay. I'll hold on the name, but um, just in case it changes. Uh, but uh, but the the OS is just really really great. Um, mm. It just changes again. It's a new DAC. Uh, completely changes um, the way that this thing sounds, and so uh, Ted has really pulled out another uh, great. OS uh, for us and uh, people who own a direct stream should be pretty excited um, and looking forward to receiving the new OS in a, in a few weeks here. But um, and just a little background for those who are new to the podcast. Darren is the senior analog design engineer at PS audio. So PS audio is one of these brands um, that I think because of the outreach and the kind of social uh, reach and and then Paul's kind of uh, creative output. Uh, everybody knows who PS Audio is. So, so Darren's behind. Uh, you know the the analog sections and and highly involved in digital stuff too. But but analog's his bag. And um, so what we're talking about is is uh, Ted Smith's Direct Stream Junior uh, Direct Stream DAC, which is uh, coded hard coded on a, a FPGA uh, chip. I shouldn't say probably hard coded. Maybe that would be yeah. No, incorrect. it's it's because what it is is it's just is it's code um, up, up, and updatable, and it's firmware that that has been updated how many times at this point? Like ten times. Yeah, and basically the the DAC is programmed in the FPGA, so it's it's through code. So if you need, for instance, if you need to go through some sort of conversion process, if you put in, let's say, you put in t- um, uh, twenty four, you know, one ninety six or something, or one one ninety two. Um, then you are, you and we want to convert it to DSD, for instance. That is all done within code. So uh, any sort of uh, a sample rate conversion or or uh, a format conversion is actually done uh, in the code. And so those 
sections within the DAC that make up the digital to analog converter can be reprogrammed. They can be rewritten so that it's now a different DAC. And so that's what that's what you get with these OS uploads or updates. You get massive uh, a massive improvement in sound quality every time. But uh, we go through a lot of back and forth uh, between listening and then back to Ted working on code and then back to listening and we optimize it and um and uh you know it's just a process it's just like when we have to release a a component we uh we listen to it and then we make modifications and we go back and we listen to it so yeah but yeah but this is unique and this is this is amazing like if we're talking about fpga dax in the industry you've got cord you've got you uh, now we have Ex- Lynn. <laughs> well, Lynn, yeah. Yeah, no. they just announced... Uh, does ExoGal use... No, the FPGA... No, they don't. Anyway. What's that called? Few. The Climax by Lynn? By Is that Lynn, the- it's the Climax with a K. Yeah, the with Climax DSD or whatever. All right. Brand new, what, $39,000 DAC streamer. Yep. FPGA based as well. All righty. Um, um, anyway, but, but, but there's not many. There's only a couple of people doing this mm-hmm. because it really takes um, a crazy, brilliant person behind the, the ones and zeros uh, to, to make all this work. Ted's a wizard. But uh, my point is that I'm trying to make... You guys have come out with 10 of these software updates. Cord has come out with, I think, zero. And it's not to, to knock Cord. They actually do kind of a, very, a different thing than PS Audio. They're chassis design is is like no other and and they do things um a different way but in this one way much of their DAC structure is fpga based and so it does stand out to to me as an outside observer i would say i mean i know a lot of ps audio guys and full disclaimer i used to work for ps audio years ago but to me, as as someone who enjoys this hobby, it's pretty cool that... Uh, and I've gone through the revisions because I have a direct stream deck, but it's pretty cool that this product keeps getting updated and updated and updated. It's very cool. Ted keeps up coming, coming up with ideas. And so we want to make the, the product uh, better and better. And, it does. It gets better. It's very and, cool. And, you know, that's that's what that product's about. So, um so anyways, that's a whole process, cool. and I've been going through that. That's coming up a um, couple weeks. Yep, and then also I, I'll start talking about this. Um, just maybe this will motivate me to get on it. Yep. That is is that um, you and I are going to be uh, rebuilding our Dunlavi crossovers. Oh, yeah. And so um, I'm going to be... Well, yeah. Um, I'm going to yeah. be building outboard crossovers. I'm going to keep the factory crossover the way it is, but I'm going to measure every component and exactly replicate the crossover, but with just like crazy components. We're talking dueling. I know. Yeah. Resistors. I want to be there. And, and foil capacitors. And so what I'm thinking right now is like, it's like, okay, now that I have a cable design for power cables, I should sell all of my power cables that I have. And use that to get some of the because we're gonna drop some we're gonna have to drop some change to really do this the way we want to do it. Yeah, V caps. I'm gonna use dual and silver uh, cast graphite resistors mm-hmm. for sure because mm-hmm. I I fell in love with those things. Yeah, and I'm thinking about going my flex for the caps and then mm. and then I, I meant uh, dual and inductors. I said uh, yeah, I said uh, I said foil capacitors uh, not long ago, but I meant foil inductors. 
I'm going to be using foil inductors, and then I'm going to be measuring the DCR of the old inductors and making oh, sure that I stay. Match it. Yeah, keep the DCRs the same. Yeah. So uh, that will just be putting maybe a resistor um, in series with the inductor. Only um, if it's the DCR is lower, right? Yeah, but, you know, if you, you, can, you can control that. Yeah, oh, but you yeah. can't control it if it's higher than A. Well, what I mean is my inductor will be higher high, much higher gauge. Yeah. It, the gauge is very low in there. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. So you go higher gauge, then add some resistance to You might want to add some resistance because yeah, yeah, yeah. it affects the it affects yeah. the overall crossover. Yeah. You have a good resistor there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. High high wattage. and Yeah, I'm going to put something crappy there, but everything else is going <laughs> to be just decked out. <laughs> Um, so, uh, anyways, so that's, that's in the pipeline. That's what's next. That's the next thing is to redo these amazing speakers and to update them, uh, internal wiring. Um, yeah, we wanted to leave them the same except for internal wiring. Yeah. But, uh, and then add an external that we can go crazy with giving ourselves the option of Mm. like reinstalling the other. I haven't even thought about giving it like a car paint job. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You said that. Yeah. I like that. And and maybe uh, changing the grill um, color as well. Powder so, coat it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then our feet. The feet, too. Right. So we're going to do outriggers. Do outriggers, right. Yeah. No, I, sh- I, I should be doing that, too. Yep. So, so that's yeah. on the pipe. Um, we, we can't stop from the mods and the tweaks. It's in our nature. It's we... Two tweakers be tweaking. Tweakers going to tweak. So... Yep. That's us. All right. Uh, should we get any questions? Sure. Okay, uh, this week we got some great questions from you wonderful listeners, and uh, very much appreciate that. We're going to tackle two this week, so if we didn't get to your question uh, this week, we're going to get to it eventually, and we may also be waiting to be talking to an expert on this and that. I don't know. If if you haven't heard your uh, your question in a while, uh, still have patience. We're we're still thinking about actually some that are that are. Uh, that have been in the inbox for a little bit, but uh, this week we got uh, quite a few, and so we're going to answer two. Um, let's start with this one. Uh, Brandon Seats um, from the North Shore of Lake Superior writes to us and includes a picture of his system, which is awesome. We appreciate that. Um, Brandon's actually, uh, the subject matter of his email is um, dynamic range compression. Let me read what Brandon writes. Brandon says, Hey, fellas, I really enjoy your podcast. Please keep keep up the good work. The reason I am reaching out to you is one of the recommended al- albums, Hadouk Trio Utopies. I was excited about this album after you talked about binaural and other high-quality recording techniques being used. Then I queued it up in Rune from Tidal slash Cobuzz, only to find what seems to me a highly compressed recording. After turning the volume down from 63 to 50, I find I found the high-frequency percussion to be distorted and distracting. I skipped the album after song one. What gives? You guys rocking this album on vinyl? Would that be a positive difference given the vinyl is also compressed in a dynamic range? Am I crazy? I thought this would be a good topic of discussion because it's a very frustrating and rewarding part of the journey when you begin questioning your system less and the recordings more. The system of mine I've begun questioning less is uh, Emotiva CMX2 DC offset killer, so it sounds like a, a DC blocker. Uh, Furman uh, P1800 PFR, so he's got a, a power conditioner from Furman. MyTech Brooklyn Bridge 
Um, is that is it the deck? Yeah, that's the deck. Shit, shit, Vidar, uh, Monoblocks, and Maggie's one point seven I Maggie's using mostly audio quest. He attached a, a picture. Um, so he said we'll get a kick out of his acoustic absorption and cable lifters. Well, um, thank you, Brandon, for uh, for sending the email, and I I do have some thoughts about uh, this recording. Um, I agree with you that it, it, it does run a little hot compared to, for example, a 2L recording or, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of us have classical, classical recordings that are quite, quite lower in volume. Um, so there's definitely some, some use of the upper ranges of the dynamic, full dynamic, dynamic range of the digital, uh, system. Um, as far as, as mega compression, that's actually a secondary topic, um, going above the limit and then compressing it down. That's, that's dynamic range limiting and, and, and the use of a limiter. And, um, I'm not so sure that this album is as limited as, um, as many, 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 many others. Um, but I do think that two things are going on. First of all, they're they're able to use a lot of the dynamic range available for digital and run run this thing hot enough so that you do have to uh, change your volume from sixty three to fifty um, because of of in most times fairly minimal instrumentation in terms of the density of the signal. It's actually a bit a bit lower um, all across the entire album, and uh, it's interesting in the dynamic in the discussion about dynamic range and pop music. Uh, this is one of the ways that that people are uh, dynamically limiting albums, yet they are uh, making them sound open, like open sounding recordings with with a with a limited dynamic range is only pulled off with minimal instrumentation um so this happens all the time in the r&b world the rap world the like uh, some electronic music um it's just when you are able to um you know ca- carry the, the the melody and all all of the music that's happening with minimal instruments there's a lot more space in there for them to be kind of maximized for effects to be added to them and 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 all this kind of stuff well so that's my take on this is that it's minimal instrumentation so yes they're pushing it up but i'm not i'm not necessarily from from my exposure to this and my experience with it um, willing to call it necessarily overly compressed album. Um, what I think though is, is that, um, Darren's in my, and Darren can speak to this in a second, but Darren's in my experience with this on multiple systems that have had tons of attention paid to them that have lots of money on the front end that have months of adjustment or weeks of adjustment is is uh is that we don't we don't find the high frequency percussion to be distorted we do find it to be i find it to be crisp i'll speak for myself i find it to be very crisp and very very detailed and extended um but i've never heard something cross the line to sibilance on this album so then my question uh to you is is um and and like you said Brandon, this is the whole game. 
are we questioning the system or are we questioning the recording? And uh, I know that between Darren and me, I know speaking for myself, I've gone back and forth um, on some recordings, you know, a lot and some pieces of gear. And it's, it's a little bit of a loose thing, a loose grasp on this situation is it at any point of the time you can ask yourself because recordings are so diverse and they're so wildly different from each other. At any point you can be questioning the system or the recording. Um, but in this case, I've got enough experience with this album that I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if this is really, um, you know, bothering you if this is maybe showing off something that's going on in the system. And that's, really the benefit of these types of tracks and the types of things that we that we have that have been shared you know among our audiophile community uh a lot of this stuff is good music a lot a lot of it's good tools in order to 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 know what's really going on um so that's about all i can all i can add is that my experience has been that uh, on on a bunch of different systems that are pretty highly resolving that this the high frequency while um detailed it's it's not uh i didn't find it distorted and distracting uh i find it far from distorted um and and i uh i would agree the, the right word might be detailed um and uh it's a pretty amazing recording um so one thing that's interesting about system balance is that when you have a really nice subwoofer system set up and integrated into your speakers that if you switch it off while you're listening to music what you'll notice is that the top end will come forward and so Mm. if you don't have the correct balance in your system it Mm. actually affects the top end Oh yeah, for sure. I and um, does, yeah. and so I, it's not. Uh, I, I mean, I don't see a subwoofer in the system. I just, um, you know, I was curious whether you had a subwoofer in the system. But one idea um, would be that perhaps you you don't have the bottom end extension to support the rest of the range. And in this recording, what you'll notice is that the energy transitions, how they transition and flow the energy in the music, uh, for instance, will be, you know, like some cymbal work with these really low drums and like really low frequency that like moves the energy correctly. Hmm. And so there's a lot of this recording tests kind of the extremes you know like mm, it's a, like yeah. symbol work and then like sub bass and so and if you don't have the sub bass yeah. you just hear symbols i could see that, and you yeah. don't want to just hear symbols yeah. right yeah. so that's what my guess is is that the overall balance is it's it is testing the system how well extended the bass is and because of that I think that the whole thing is going forward on you. That's just my opinion. Matt, those are great speakers, by the way. And I love your your cable stands. Yeah, um, cable stands are great. It's starting to look more like my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> um, but that's just my thought. Oh, are you... those the Mason jars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's a good tweak. Perfect. Um, but you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you have a, a sub or not. But it's just a thought. Um, uh, I've been doing that recently where I'll actually cut off my subs. And this is on like a full range loudspeaker, a Dunlavy uh, uh, SC IV running, you know, that, that is technically uh, outputs well into the 20s. 
And even when I cut off my subs, the, uh, you know, the mid and the treble will, will jump forward a little bit. Yeah. And so, um, so it's just how your ear hears, uh, relative to other parts of the spectrum. So if you don't have any bass and you're probably even, maybe even turning it up a little bit, uh, more than you think you would like if you had subs you may not go as high because you get the dynamics and you get that full that feeling of fullness in the room and so um that's just my guess um i'm not really of course not sure but i do know that recording tests the extremes so if you don't have the sub bass uh something might sound odd about it yeah i mean it comes in right away with brushes on the first track and it's this within like two seconds it's and it's like right down low and up high just brushes and then doom 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 so it's it's pretty warm actually but like Mm -hmm. uh, naturally warm it's not but if you take away the sub bass and you're just listening to cymbals i could see that could be forward um yeah and then and then in the in the chance that you do have a sub which we're looking at all your cables it looks like we see the we see everything it looks like and so i'm not seeing a sub i think you're probably right darren but um but also um just the thought uh you know and i mentioned i'm duncan i i work as a testing technician at the music room uh which is the an online reseller of high-end audio gear and uh you know i've tested thousands of products and i gotta say maggie's are really revealing. Um, shit, Vidar amps are pretty, pretty like engaged and revealing. Um, a MyTech Brooklyn um, DAC, and I'm not sure about the bridge, but I, my experience with the Brooklyn DACs is that they are engaged and revealing. And so, um, yeah, I guess I guess now we're looking at 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 cables and 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 what you've got here is a nimble beast that can really be um, dialed in. And, and it just has me wondering your, your comments about this album, um, whether or not maybe, maybe we use the, the cables, the speaker cables to kind of like, and in your connects to kind of um, tame this beast or wrangle this beast into what it, what it should be. Because like I said, our experiences with this track, uh, this album have been, um, have been excellent. So um yeah, and and um, rail subwoofers can partner really well with, with Maggie's. Maggie's. Yeah, absolutely. They're very fast and and nimble, and and you can integrate them really well. Um, the way they make so, rails so linear up top of their range, which is mm-hmm. really only just past a hundred hertz, um, is makes them so easy to integrate with everything. Yeah, so, so that would be my recommendation. Um, and then also, Duncan, you're right. Like, you know, maybe re-examine the um, electronics that are being partnered but anyways it, that's an awesome room and and uh yeah, awesome and treatment with your and with your maggies you always have the well i think with the 1.7s but you have the option of of uh changing uh, changing the tweeter response with a little resistor um and so i know there's a lot of tweaking going on with with mm-hmm. maggies with, with that. Yeah. yeah okay thanks brandon um let's get into paul's question so we got a second email is from Paul Rosselli. And Paul doesn't tell us where he is, but he's a professor of uh, economics, which is, um, which is great. We, uh, we love our, our listeners and, um, and, and how educated and, and sharp, uh, our guys are. So, uh, Paul asks a question about, uh, speaker 
cabinets uh, being inert versus being uh, intentionally vibrational. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And he uh, says he um, he has has some. Um, he just bought some HL fives. Harbeth, which are so, probably the, the XDs. Let me let me read his question. I will I will skip the praise for us because uh, I'm sure it's just too much for you guys. <laughs> we just love we love the encouragement, uh, and uh, and we really always appreciate that. Um, but I'll, just for for time's sake, I'll jump into Paul's question here. Paul writes, it's clear to me that lots of speaker manufacturers think that it is important to have speaker boxes that are very inert. I get the importance of deadening the speaker box. However, the producers of the speakers that I recently purchased, which are the Harbeth uh, Super HL5 XD, uh, take the position that thin speaker boxes that are tunable is the preferable way to build a speaker. I am wondering what you both... What do you think of both approaches and their pros and cons? Thanks again. Thanks for writing, Paul. Great question. Um, So uh, Harbeth um, has, you know, built on basically the the BBC philosophy, which was um, a uh, started out with the um, research that the BBC did into uh, making monitors that would be a standard monitor going across the board so that uh, uh, in broadcast, you'd have basically the same reference, yeah, the same standard. Right. Um, and that became the LS3 slash 5A, um, which is a quite a famous model. Well, um, initially after the that, LS3 5, and then they redid it for the LS3 5A. Oh, really? Different crossover, yeah. yeah oh, I different didn't know crossover, that. different driver, lots of different stuff. I thought LS5 Foam was a larger speaker. LS3 okay. 5 is the same size as the 35A. It's just different. The 35A has the foam oh, on the front Oh, you're just saying baffle. the A is different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the okay, A was okay, a okay, okay, okay. But the 3.5 was like the original thing that Harwood was like... Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Doing or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so they actually did a lot of research um, yeah. with all that. And, and this is one of the topics that they researched was uh, what kind of cabinet would be best? Um, would it be better to make it out of... Um, you know, a, a hardwood that was really inert uh, for wood, given that it was wood, or MDF, or different types of wood even. And they did studies on different types of wood, uh, different thicknesses, and also the tension in the box as well, which controls the resonance. And they found that, they found that if you were to control the resonance and put it in, uh, keep the resonance at a really low frequency, which is usually just a couple hundred hertz. And you voice that into the speaker itself, that it was more uh, innocuous um, than mm-hmm. uh, than making the inert cabinet that would have an uncontrollable resonance at high frequency. And so that's what the study said. And so from there, we've seen, you know, all these different manufacturers like Rogers and, and Harbeth. Um, you know, Kef was was in the game at the very beginning. They were one of the the uh companies uh making ls um three five a's as well yeah um and that's why you know the ls uh 50s are called the ls 50s is to kind of yeah um homage to their bbc roots exactly mm-hmm. um and so and so uh my opinion on it i i've lived i've had um multiple harbeths uh my father is a huge harbeth fan duncan's a harbeth fan yep um 
I I think that given given the the money into the the actual speaker itself, um, the there are some massive uh, pros to to the tunable box approach, and one of those is is just musicality and this feeling of of body and warmth that you get out of the speaker. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the cons yeah. is is uh, SPL um, at, when you start driving the speaker, the box starts to move more. So you, uh, I don't find that Harbess or something you want if you're like a really high SPL listener, you know, like if you listen normally at 90 to 95 dB, uh, they're not really meant for that. Um, they're, they're more meant for, you know, in the eighties, um, 85, uh, is kind of where they're tuned. And, um, but I find them, uh, I find it extremely musical when you have, a cabinet that is tunable like that and the and i think that there's something about it something unique you know it's it's we um there's all these different approaches in audio you know whether it's a single-ended triode amplifier or whether it's a push-pull amplifier and the tunable box approach is a is a method it's it's an option and i think it has a certain sound and i have to say that sound is extremely pleasing and it's better than a box that is just randomly thrown together and the resonance frequency is higher and not controlled. And you just hear that cabinet color the sound. Um, in With Harvest, you don't get the feeling of coloration. You get the feeling of of that it's actually adds structure instead yeah. of instead of going against the music and being something that that you feel is a distortion you feel like it's a part of the music yeah and that's I, the idea about it it's a musical way of approaching something without spending wilson bucks on a cabinet it's also uh, a great place in the frequency spectrum to touch it yes um especially for low le- level listening yeah oh yeah you know sure. to give that one fletcher mutts and curves yeah, yeah and they sure. just harvest have such a great a low level so listening quality. I was uh, testing a pair of thirty point one thirty fifth anniversary uh, Harbeth monitors today. In fortieth, or is it thirties? Thirty fifth anniversary. Thirty fifth. They actually know they did that. I know. I didn't either. But did I'm looking at the box and it says thirty fifth anniversary edition, and it's yeah. just something they did. Yeah. It's Harbeth. They're kind of. I must. Have, I must have skipped the thirty sixth. Yeah, the thirty sixth or the forty seventh. No, they uh they've done twentieth or they've done twentieth, thirtieth, fortieth, but uh, this is news to me that they did thirty fifth, but they did wow. for the thirty point one. Um, I did not know that. Anyway, uh, you know, compared to my speakers at work, which are a little forward, my my system's kind of exciting at work, and so then the thirties are just neutral, and yeah. and then but they've got this kind of old school flesh to them. You know, yeah. it's got to be that box. And, yep. and uh, what this makes me think of is um, I did a bunch of mastering on the weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, I was doing three, I mastered three EPs for three different singer-songwriters, basically guitar players and, and guys, guys that sing. And it's fascinating, like that range from 100 hertz to 350 hertz is is the heart and soul of that kind of music. Um, if you think of a male vocal, um, 
you know, the, the, the 250 Hertz, uh, the, the 170 Hertz elements of those are in general, very important. Um, and so it's, it's important for, you know, sense of realism and it's, and it's important for, um, I think the conveyance of emotion when you're, when you're talking about, you know, male vocals and that kind of thing. So for me, and also thinking a nod to the BBC history of, you know, one of their main goals was to recreate the human voice so perfectly, yeah, as perfectly as you could possibly do it. Yeah. And the Alice threes, you know, that's what they're about. So, yeah. so that's not surprising to me that 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 the cabinet that they would accept a cabinet resonance in that in that range. Now, yep. I've heard I've heard very inert speakers before. I've and, and I've heard a million speakers like a range, you know. So mm-hmm. one that comes to mind that that's really forward about their science behind it is Q Acoustics, talking about their gel core uh, um, uh, technology which is essentially uh, a constrained layer of gel mm-hmm. between to absorb to whatever's yep. probably MDF, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. to save costs. But the, I, but the idea that you're using a constrained layer of a different, of completely different material characteristics mm-hmm. to, to dampen this. Now you worked at B&W and B&W is famous first for their matrix, uh, bracing yep. which is just crazy bracing inside mm-hmm. kind of accomplishes the same goal but as you imagine shifting the frequency of resonance way up um but then then now you've also you know encountered some of the modern b&w cabinet stuff which well, yeah, is crazy the, right? the the d2s had a um an aluminum uh <laughs> i was about to say bell on top of them um <laughs> But they were actually they did ring uh, and the, uh, the nodless uh, uh, mid range enclosure was an aluminum um, uh, enclosure. It's and, like uh, a teardrop shape. Yeah, and and it uh, it had uh, it had some issues, and so what they did was they they actually went to casting the aluminum, so it was just like a big piece of aluminum, and that was dead. Oh, you know, and so the D three interesting uh, removed that that uh that resonance um i could be wrong that the original was made out of aluminum it might have been like some other material i might be uh i might be incorrect about that but but the newest the d3s are cast aluminum like a big block of it um and then they put the um mid-range in there and and the uh the tweeter housing is the same way and so um you know all these companies it's either that you're you're gonna work with your distortions which is essentially what these tunable boxes do it's it's uh having control and uh over it and putting it into a region that is somewhat innocuous and then and then it's to or it's to completely try to take away the resonance and kill the box and you see that in yg you see that in magico you see that in wilson you know and so, um, and then you get brands that are kind of in between, you know, there. Well, and this is so. why I, uh, I was excited about this one because last week, <clears throat> and this is the second thing I wanted to bring up about the, the Harbeth approaches last week, you were talking about, uh, known and controllable distortions yeah. are much preferable to 
unknown mm-hmm. or uncon- and or uncontrollable distortions. Yeah, that's an example. This is an example of Perfect it. Perfect example. And the uh, I'll tell you right now, my uh, Dunlavi SCIVs suffer from a little bit of this issue where um, the the cabinet is moving. You know what's um, crazy is you've got this giant woofer in yours. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really hear the effects of that on my SC3s. So I've Dunlavi's too, um, you know, and... And they're just yeah. You're not moving as much air. Yeah, Um, don't make a lot of bass either. And so, um, yeah. And so, you know, I do hear it on on my Dunlavies. Um, So uh, that's surprising. So you know, it's an and it's an uh, that's one example where if you have, you know, Harbess, you know, they just control that resonance and they build it and tune it into the way the speaker sounds. Um, I love Alan Shaw. He's a great designer. Yeah, you're a huge fan. Yep. All right, thanks, Paul, for that uh, great question. We love chatting about this kind of stuff. I don't know if we uh, if we really took a stance, um, one or the other, other than just acknowledging and giving us some 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 examples that we enjoy of both approaches. But it's like wine; I can't decide on what I like. I like different. I'm getting different moods. It's why I love this audio hobby, man. <laughs> There's a million ways to do everything. I have Harvest in my has a different shade. My bedroom, I have Harvest. You do, yeah. yeah so I might yeah, yeah. want to retire at night and and then listen to some Harvests. And yeah. I, they're they're outstanding speakers. Well, we hope you're enjoying your new HL5s. Those uh, are Paul, awesome so. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. those are great. So, yeah, thanks, Paul. All right. Topic du jour. I looked at our um, at our uh, episodes we've done lately, and um, and I felt like uh, we were due for a um, informational episode, courtesy of Mister Darren's big brain of of electrical knowledge and. Uh, basically let's just start from my perspective i've i've uh i've been given a few rules of thumbs and some guidelines about what role output and input impedance make when you're pairing a preamplifier and an amplifier or a source component and an amplifier or a source component and a preamplifier but i've never like fully understood i i've never understood it fully um mm-hmm. I'll start with what I was told. What I was told is that between a preamplifier and an amplifier, you want the biggest gap, like distance between the output impedance of the preamplifier, which should be low, mm-hmm. and the input impedance of the amplifier, which should be very high, as high as possible. That's right. And that's all I've been told. So I kind of yeah. like have this vision in my mind of like, okay, well, that seems to me like if it's, if it's drive if it's pushing into a high impedance then it's really like everything that happens on that signal is 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 like linearly perfectly transferred to the amp because it's it's got such great like resistance well, we got but i don't know i don't know I'm, in... I'm starting to blab okay. already because i don't know so, anything about so so let's this. we're going to break this down so the first thing is one thing the first thing you learn about amplifiers uh, if you go to engineering school, is you learn about these desirable traits that an amplifier possesses. Okay. And in an ideal condition, in the perfect world, what would the specs be of, for instance, an operational amplifier? And that is is that the input impedance would be infinite. 
and the output impedance would be zero. Mm. Okay, so this goes with there you go high high input impedance, mm-hmm. low output impedance. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there are tons of other specifications. I'm not getting into that right now, but those are the desirable traits in an amplifier. What makes an amplifier a more correct amplifier, whether it's a preamp or it's a standard typical power amplifier, is that the input impedance is going to be very high and the output impedance is going to be very low. Now, the lower your load is, so for instance, the speaker is usually uh, 4 or 8 ohms. Um, That means that the output impedance of the amplifier is going to have to be really low. So the and load is the speaker. Yes. That's the that's the load that's in the truck bed of the amp that's pushing around. Uh yes, and and so what happens is that that 4 ohms um creates a voltage divider with the output impedance of the amplifier. And so what will happen is that if you kind of visualize a resistor on the output of the amplifier in series with the speaker load mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. going to ground you will you will see that in between those two resistors, there's a different voltage than the voltage coming directly out of the amp. Wait a minute, there's two resistors, so there's there's one on the in series with the amp, and then yep. and then one connected from that to ground. Yep. So okay, okay, I'm okay. going to call R O is the output resistor. Okay. And the R L is the loudspeaker. Okay. And R L is going to ground and. RO is representing the output impedance okay. of the amplifier. So okay. you can forget about the amp. Yeah. It's just this resistor. Okay. So the higher that resistor gets, so meaning that the more the the higher that output impedance becomes in the amplifier, the more voltage is going to drop over that resistor given that the current goes up because of Ohm's law. Okay. So so you start dropping voltage across that resistor. Voltage loss. And and uh, so that is not desirable because what that is, is it's a is something that violates uh, an ideal law of what's called the ideal voltage source. And so an amplifier is trying to act like an ideal voltage source, which means that it can maintain a voltage on the load no matter what current it gives it yeah so it could i i basically i give uh so i don't load the amplifier at all and i get five volts i put four ohms on it i get five volts right right but if i were to increase that ro resistor that i was talking about which is the output impedance resistor Voltage is now dropped across the output impedance. Mm. And the voltage is no longer 5 volts when I put the 4 ohms on it, when I attach the speaker. It's 5 volts when I don't have the speaker on it because there's no current running through RO. But as soon as I attach the loudspeaker to it, current flows through RO and a voltage is dropped across the resistor. Mm. That drops the voltage now to, say, 4.2 volts. That is not a good voltage source. Yes. So, so that is what a power amplifier is trying to do. And that is what a preamp also has to do, but on it, it doesn't have as challenging of a task because okay. it only usually has to drive 100, 
you know, K an or input, 50K. An input to an amp. Yeah, so it can have a much higher output impedance. Which is probably just a resistor, right? An input to an amp. It's not like a dynamic load like a speaker that's got like... I'm sorry? What do you well, mean? Well, when you're talking about the, the difference between an amplifier's job and a preamplifier's job, like mm-hmm. the preamplifier only sees the like the input resistors for, or or like a, you know, a purely resistive load is what I'm saying, right? Um, well, actually, so, uh, so actually it's not a pure resistive load, but let's, let's get to that in, in a little bit. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm just saying that the job of a preamp is to deliver less current to the load as a power amplifier, which yeah, is yeah, you know sure, pretty sure, sure, sure. pretty okay. pretty obvious thing given yep. the power differences. So the standard uh, input impedance of power amplifiers would be between like twenty and a hundred kilo ohms. Yeah, that's probably standard. so that's yeah. really high compared to compared to uh, speakers, which uh, range from you know two to sixteen ohms. Yeah, and so. Uh, and so the the output impedance of the power amplifier has to be really low, you know, because you're gonna it's gonna stop acting as a pure voltage source. Oh, but for yeah. a preamp, you could have two hundred ohms. You could be you could have three hundred ohms as far as its output impedance. Yeah, and it would still it act matter. as a great. Yeah, it would be a great, great uh, voltage source. source yeah, still. yeah, yeah. So so um so that's that's what I'm saying there. But okay. the the what's interesting is how all this reacts to. Um, when you have a reactive load, which means that the impedance changes with frequency. Yep. And so now we're getting into a true impedance as we analyze it in in an AC sense, as we change the frequency from 1 hertz to um, 100 kilohertz. The impedance, the input impedance does not stay constant. So when you when you see your, your amplifier specced at 100 kilo ohms on the input, um, that is usually just that DC. So it's if you took a if you took a multimeter mm. and you turned it to your resistor setting, you put it on the input of that amp and you shut the amp off. Um, a lot of times you'll read that value, and that's the resistor that's holding down the input of the amp. Gotcha. You know, it yep, might be yep, like yep. a FET or something, and you have a hundred K resistor tying it down to ground. Right. That's your input impedance that's specced on the manufacturer's uh, specifications. Right. The truth is, is that as you reach, let's take it to 20 kilohertz, which would be, of course, the top of the audible band. Um, what happens is that they usually have a capacitor going to ground as well for filtering out uh, RF so oh, that you don't okay. get any interference with noise. On and, the input, which yes. is really important to not have that. Yep. Yes, exactly. And yep. then sometimes there's actually slew rate limiting filters. Um, that limit the slew rate so that uh, so that the amplifier doesn't go into any sort of slew rate limiting, which is kind of similar to an RF filter because you don't want RF coming in and then that getting hit by a an amplifier that has a really low slew rate and then causing basically slew indu- slew rate induced distortion huh. and rolling that into the audio band and you get noise. You may huh. even hear the radio station, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Yeah. Um, so, because you have that capacitor there, as you go up in frequency, the capacitor is going to start acting more like a short circuit, which means that its impedance starts to go down. Down, sure. And so, yep. what you're going to start seeing is at DC, you'll see 100 K. But then, by the time you get to 20 yeah. uh, um, kilohertz, you might see 
8K. Oh, yeah. Right? Sure. Because of the sure. capacitors now starting to yep. uh, shunt that that input yeah, uh, impedance. Yeah, be a straight wire. Okay? Yeah, right. And so, and so that is wh- where the preamp has a role of being able to have to, it has to drive that. And it has to drive that 8K just as well as it can with the 100K. Right. So that's the requirement for a preamp. If you can't meet those requirements, then your frequency response starts to roll off. Yeah, right. You start getting phase distortion early on in the audio band. Okay, so this is where this stuff can be audible. Someone says, oh, well, 20K, like, who cares about that? Yeah. Well, yeah, you look at basically how quickly the phase distortion will take place if you're 3DB down at 20K instead of 3DB down at at 200K, and it's very significant. The, the, Octaves the phase, go quickly up the there. The phase will actually. start to swing quickly on you. So if you think about it, at high frequency, octaves take up thousands of hertz. Yeah. Whereas octaves in low frequency can all be, you can have an octave before even 100 hertz. So it's yep. like, you know, So that's, that's, very that's the problem. And so yeah. now I want to move on to just another topic that is directly... Uh, has uh, it's directly connected to this one almost okay. literally which is the the cable that you connect in okay. between your preamp and your amplifier okay that cable is it's a capacitor it has a capacitance to it yep cables have a capacitance reading an inductance reading and a and a dcr a resistance reading yes. right and so the um, if it, any sort of inductance to the cable would actually cause the impedance to rise with frequency, but its its capacitance is going to add on to that that um, you know RF capacitor that we have on the input of the amplifier, and it's going it's to make to it. yes, it's going to yeah. add to it, and it's actually going to cause that high frequency uh, impedance specification to actually drop possibly. If, if the cable's to roll off you've adding a lot, yep. right? So yep. this is where we get into Quadstar cable. This is why Quadstar cable exists is to yep. be highly capacitive so that it rolls off RF so you don't pick up a bunch of noise in studio environments or live shows where you have a, a run of 300 feet of yeah. cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's meant to actually, it's meant to partner with, with pro electronics, which usually have really low output impedance, um, as far as what's driving it, like line driver stages that are um, that are going to be low enough output impedance to drive that cable even at high frequency, but mm. um, so that's where you do have to be careful. Not every preamp has a super low output impedance. There are some, especially tube amplifiers out there that are really minimal that have a fairly high output impedance, and so that's what you where think fairly high, like a hundred ohms. Is that a lot? Uh, no, it's low. That's pretty low. That's pretty low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three hundred ohms is low and standard. Oh, yeah, okay. anywhere from a hundred okay. to three hundred. Yeah, no, there's just there is some it's kind of amazing that preamps <clears throat> don't have to be very low at all, but amps have to be like point one ohms. Well, that's because of the yeah. load. 
Yeah. That's because yeah, look, look at the load differences. Okay, that okay. Four ohms now versus 100K. Under, now I'm understanding. Yeah, okay, yeah. Got so, you, got you. so that's why the output impedance yep. uh, varies. And so, <clears throat> no, 300 ohms is, is very acceptable. It will drive a lot. Okay. Um, okay. When we're talking about, you know, if you have to drive a 10K. A 10K ohm. Yeah, I mean, is it's fine. not that bad and a not at all. A 100K ohm yeah. is, way, is, is yeah. awesome. That yeah. resistor, it's yeah. just a divider again. Okay. That, that okay. Those numbers don't, you know, if I was trying to drive 100 or 10K with 10K, well, right. I'm getting half. Right. I'm getting half my output. Is at that, that what that's happens? Six, yeah, that would be six dB down. Wow. About that. that would be an actual halving of the of output the voltage. voltage. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah. So I would basically drop. I would take away the 10k resistor and I would get five volts, and then I'd put it there and I get 2.5. Oh my god! So it's like okay, that's a bad voltage source, right? Right. right. So we want to create a voltage source at 300 ohms. Not a big deal. Yep. Very standard. What I'm saying is that there are some very minimal tube preamps out there that don't have a uh, part of the circuit called a follower circuit. Mm. And so it doesn't, uh, they have high output impedances. Yeah. And so it's simple. So it stays high. There's nothing to bring that down. And so like a transformer or, or other, other ways to do it. What the, the, DSJ is active buffers. Was it like mm-hmm. the video switching buffers or some high speed buffers? Yeah, it's buffers. just yeah, that's just an uh, output stage. Yeah, it's going to present a pretty but, low output. But one impedance. of the jobs of that output stage is to maintain the right imp- output, output impedance, impedance, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it keeps it low and it can drive a cable. Mm-hmm. So, so that is that is kind of what we're talking about here. Sure. This is this is what's important. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of gear out there that is min- minimalistic in the way that. You um, that it may have a really high output impedance, you have to be careful. But at the same time, even if you have a standard preamp with an average output impedance, uh, you can still rack up enough cable capacitance to be in trouble. <laughs> so that is exactly why we don't want to, you know, have three hundred feet uh, runs of interconnect of if, you star, if you yeah, don't have to. Yeah, and also you can control the type of capacitance or or I'm sorry how much capacitance you have with, with the c- type of cable that you pick so there's the, there are cables that have really low capacitive specs like there's um Belden makes some some cables that are just really low I know the iconoclast so the cable super low that you have right now uh the uh, the XLR mm-hmm. that you're that you're barring is is quadstar mm. but Galen goes through mm. all of these huge things like like a it's not a vacuum tube it's it's just it's an air tube I guess but it's it's sealed off to the elements but he has yeah. these quad tubes where he has the conductor just sitting right in the middle of the tube suspended by this kind of like lazy curl of a of a um it's like uh Teflon fibers, this string that he uses to wind around wow. the conductor so that it stays yeah. in the middle of this right. air tube. And the the purpose of the air tube is durability. Like if, if someone were to step on the cable, also, or? no, 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 lower oh. capacitance. Okay, um, okay, yeah, gotcha. Because of yep. lower dielectric absorption, yep. and yep. the dielectric constant of air is extremely low. Okay, and then the only other so thing the durability is just a just an advantage there. His yeah, those cables specifically were built to be extra durable durable because they're the studio yep. version yeah I, I see now okay audio version of the so he's comics. decreasing the ca- capacitance that but way but they're so, quad star they're quad yeah. star because he because he does uh, appreciate um 
the the effects of the quad star in the in the addition of the quad star in the magnetic field sphere. Mm, mm-hmm. So when it when it comes to magnetic fields and like maintaining some equilibrium and not and and avoiding you know interruptions with that, he he loves the positive opposite from each other and the negative opposite from each other. Cool. Well, um, either way, you know, given a, a cable that has uh, an X amount of capacitance, um, some preamps can derive that capacitance and some, some preamps uh, uh, struggle with it a little bit more. So, so you know, um, I always try to strive to have a pretty low output impedance of between 100 and, and 300 ohms for a preamp. Hmm. Okay. Um, right. And... And then that way, uh, y- you know, it really will drive, uh, you know, a lot. I mean, a lot yeah, of cables. Yeah. Um, and so you don't really have to worry. Are, are you going to hear the difference between cables um, between, you know, because of their capacitive natures, uh, nature? Uh, yes. Um, and one thing I've always thought about is how we hear the difference between capacitors and the circuit. But when we see a cable or we talk about a cable, we don't talk about the effect of that certain amount of capacitance. Let's say we have a cable that has like 50 puff picofarads. Picofarads. Um, so looks like imagine, PF, so we call it puff. Imagine that cable being made out of Teflon or that cable being made out of cotton. And so the dielectric has changed. And so that that capacitance actually also could possibly sound different too, right? Sure. So, um, so you know, it's just the cable. That's different. how that's how we're getting into the cable land here. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. for you know, there are a lot of people out there don't believe that cables can make a difference or <laughs> or whatever. But but you know, all these variables matter a little bit more than you think they would. Like you you yeah. know, when I remember when I got out of school and I would. You know, I was an audiophile, but I I started thinking about the newly acquired knowledge that I had gotten, you know, and I started doubting some things. I started, you know, I started looking at the output impedance of a preamp and then like looking at the the cable capacitance and doing calculations on, okay, like where does that roll off? You know where where does that low pass roll off, yeah. for instance, and and you know you would do those calculations and it would be like you know uh, you know two hundred kilohertz. It's like there's no way there's no way that the cable could affect it. You, you know it's way too it. far out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but the thing is you don't you don't realize that you know some cables have a lot of capacitance and there's a lot of other things that contribute to it. But one thing is for certain, if you have a lower output impedance for your preamp, it can drive more. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be more cable agnostic. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. No doubt yeah. about it. So, so here we are. We're talking about output impedance and input impedance. And that is kind of how they relate. Um, I hope that that helped you understand it better. Cable um, geometry is, is fascinating. <clears throat> and we've talked a lot mm-hmm. about how when, when, when a system is so revealing that it, that it can quickly and easily show off the differences between cables. Yeah. And there, there are so many variables. Well, that's one that's of the thing. Things, it's not just the capacity. That's one of the things that we I mean, can't. It's we, tons of that, that tons would, of variables. I would love to have enough experience with this to be able to listen to a cable and say, mm-hmm. like, 
oh, that effect, because of this, that effect is actually more due to capacitance, where this effect has to do with DCR being a little bit higher than that one and mm-hmm. and, that, and that kind of thing. I, I'm not to that level. Obviously, we, we've expressed our feelings on cables before, which is that cable geometry is paramount when it comes to cable design. Oh, absolutely. And that's this is what we're talking about. Yeah. It's the balance of inductance, capacitance and resistance yep. in a cable mm-hmm. and how geometries affect that that's that's the basis of these power cables that i'm i'm yep. winding at a 90 degree angle this these negative and in, in ground wires just so that that they're crossing at a 90 degree angle which lowers the capacitance and that's you know one of the main effects other than conductor type so you know and then you get into the whole conductor type universe you yeah. know before i've I you know I've I've mentioned that 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 you you cast in a sconce glance glance at 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 outfits that are only talking about cable type and or conductor type and you mm-hmm. know how many ends does it have is it ninety nine point nine 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 percent OFC and is it perfect you know that kind of thing and yep and so anyway I I love a, a little more science behind why it it the the geometry yep. really matters and that's why i think uh balanced cables actually are less audible than than single ended cables yeah because of uh, this is one of one of the reasons is is that you know you're you're dealing with um a situation where the the uh common mode rejection on the input of the amplifier is able to cancel that and that is an example of where geometry rules over a lot i mean it's the advantages of the balanced cable is is um, I, I'm still you know I, I'm still in the camp of I'm surprised that everything's you know, it's, not balanced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. to some yeah. degree, as far as at yeah. least maybe the interaction between components yeah. being balanced in high end audio, because we hold so many high standards for everything. You know, we're, our 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 power is so important to us. The isolation is so important to us. Yeah. And then it comes down to the cable, and we don't even use what pro audio specs. You know, it's right. like you know, there's a reason why that is, you know, and so to rule out a lot of the cable issues as far as interconnects go, balanced cable is is definitely the way to go. And then you can improve it upon oh, that. Oh, because there's given, differences between balanced cables. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah and the yeah. Iconoclast is, is amazing, amazing stuff, you know, as we were just talking about. Uh, well, but, and you've recently, like... uh brought it into your system because i have the tpc which are not the even close to the highest but a lot of people who who love these belden cables uh actually a lot of people prefer the tpc is sounding a little more natural um but they're just doing doing kind of wonders and mm-hmm. you they're replacing other balanced cables that you've had so it just shows that you know how much how much of an effect and when you when you get yourself to a point where you've done everything else that we've talked about as as you know positioning and isolation and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. and, and understanding the inf- influence of the room and that kind of thing you get to the point where you can be messing with cables and you can be messing with fuses um you know this is a this is a good place to be and and these are the nuts and bolts about what makes the differences happen yep and um, one of the things oh, you were talking to me about with the power cable differences on the amp that we listened to on Thursday when you were over was the idea that 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 a, a little bit better shielded cable that I had in my stash yep. ended up sounding better because it actually helps shield RF better yes. from the amplifier's input. 
Yeah. So, you know, yeah, all those type of things matter. And, and uh, we can apply this, this uh, topic to all of this. The mm. output impedance of the wall. Oh, at a certain frequency of power. Yeah, sure, yeah. Right, so, right. so what is what is the output impedance at sixty hertz, which is the actual, right. you know, that's the actual frequency of the power itself. And then, what's the output impedance of the wall at one megahertz, which is RF, you know, or beginning for us audio guys, it's RF. You know, my my RF teacher would be like, "Oh, that's DC." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. But you. um. But yeah, uh, but but I'm an audio guy, you know. Like yeah. one megahertz for me is high. You yeah, know? I get that's a, high. I get man. a power amp that does one megahertz, megahertz, and I'm you know I'm bragging at the bar about yeah. it, you know. So, um, my, but my uh, grandfather used to brag about uh, putting out a lighted match with ten hertz. You know, we're talking about <laughs> come on, this audio, this audio. Yeah, this is low frequency, man. Yeah. We're the LF crowd. Yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> but you know, uh, all of this this conversation we just had i use the preamp and the amplifier as an example you can apply that to all sorts of different systems yeah your wall socket is an output therefore it has an output impedance does the uh does the connected equipment have an input impedance on the power supply that is the load that it pulls yeah okay right so so the the higher the input impedance yeah right the 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 less power it pulls but the as the load goes down the more it pulls. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, um... Hi, 40 boy. My my dog just poked his head in here. Come so, on. you know, it's just an example. You can apply this across the board. Um, people use, um... I'm sure a lot of, uh... A lot of you are familiar with, uh... Passive preamplifiers, which... And I want to... Uh, yes. I want to specify what I mean Glad by that. we talking about this. Um, what I mean by that, I mean very specific thing. I don't mean digital controlled... Uh, uh, volume knobs. I don't mean DACs. Um, I mean literally a passive preamp with a potentiometer or stepped attenuator slapped in it with inputs and outputs. That's specifically what I mean. Yeah. Or it could be balanced. Yeah, not could necessarily something that that could be termed a uh, Slagle former after Dave Slagle of of the Transformer. Oh, that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother thing, but but that yeah. falls into the That's, category of technically passive preamps. But, but it, it you're does. talking about you're the right. bare bones passive. Let's preamp, just I'm just yeah just I'm just defining what I'm going to talk about. It. Yeah, it's a volume control yep. and RCA jacks basically. Yep. yep. So one of the issues with this, um, it's theoretically an okay idea if you don't need the extra gain, um, but one of the massive downsides to this is that your your output impedance is extremely high. Well, it varies. At every step of the volume yeah. control, it's going to be different. And it's probably not going to be 100 ohms. And, and right? the, only the highest, it's going to be whatever it is, which is the highest. So you got a 10K pot. Do you have a yep. 100, 100K ohm right. potentiometer? Correct. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of times when you use those kind of passive preamps, you're operating them in the top at least 50% of their operating. Probably, yeah. Which means that yep. the, sh- the shunt resistance uh, going to ground, which is what the actual input of the amplifier sees as far as the source impedance, oh, okay. is relatively high. Oh, okay. It's not 100 okay. ohms. Okay. You know, at that yeah. point. Because, yeah. because like you said, when you turn that to maximum, it's just, uh, it's just basically that resistor. In the, in the, yeah. It doesn't have any, any, hardly anything shunting it to ground. Yeah. 
because it's basically just a, a potentiometer is just kind of like a variable voltage divider. That's yep. what it's doing. Oh, okay. And and that yep. where you're sliding the actual um, pot uh, uh, across that resistor value, that spec. Like so, if it's a hundred k, you're splitting that hundred k up into mm-hmm. two different resistors. Yeah, and that's yeah, how you yeah, create yeah. that variable right. voltage. What I'm saying is that the the output impedance can be pretty high especially yeah. as you go up into the upper ranges where you're more likely to use it because you don't have any gain so your and input so, impedance is changing based on the volume and then the output impedance is no very output high. impedance output impedance is varying uh is, is input impedance not also it's varying? always fixed for the value because oh. think about it because you're it's two resistors and they're always adding to 100k oh okay okay yeah, yeah. okay yeah. But the output impedance oh. is shunted. But what if you only have it connected <clears throat> with two points on the potentiometer, uh, the wiper and the end, basically? That, that's not how a passive preamp is You don't made. set up that. that. That's a variable resistor. That's um, a but, variable resistor. But, but, uh, but in a, in it, you could make a shunt volume well, control Well, this is that what way. I'm trying to understand, because you're talking about like to ground. And I'm thinking, well, is it grounded? <clears throat> and so, yeah, actually, you're talking about it. So my point, my point is that the source impedance in this situation is high. So your okay. cable is going to okay. matter a lot because it's going to fa- now the cable's capacitance really, really, really plays into it. Makes a difference. Okay. So, so the idea that you can run this even three foot cable after you can introduce like a hundred puff yeah. after or something yeah. like that. It's 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 not a good idea. Huh. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Fascinating. You can also have shunt volume controls which is where you would use a uh you could use a, a potentiometer and you could strap it like a variable resistor which is tying two leads together and then yeah. you could put a you know now across the two terminals you could put a uh um multimeter and you would just be able to see a, a resistor that varies and so yeah and so you could actually put a fixed resistor in series um and then use this potentiometer uh, that's strapped in a variable resistor configuration um, uh, uh, to to ground, and it would actually just it would actually just vary it by changing the uh, how much it's shunting uh, uh, everything to ground, and so you would be changing the voltage divider, but keeping but the that input impedance would would be seen as that one resistor, right? Or the resistor plus the the variable resistor exactly okay okay yeah okay. yep yep so so the um stuff. yeah so that the higher amount of attenuation the uh the lower the input impedance would get and the the less the attenuation the the higher the input impedance gotcha. would get yeah and you you don't have to strap the wiper to ground by the way but i i always do it it's like classic method but you don't actually have to do it you can float the wiper anyways um Interesting. I think that kind of that kind of wraps that up because um, that conversation gets more into preamplifiers, um, and uh, and I think we we want to have a, a a show on just yeah line preamps. You did talk about wanting to yeah, yeah. Just have a have an episode about preamps, so we'll do that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks, so, Darren, as always yep. for your your awesome knowledge. Um, you know. For many of you out there, I'm sure you're going through the same thing I am, where you just you take things piece by piece, and 
you know, as time goes on, this puzzle kind of starts materializing into a real image for you. And, um, you know, Darren went to school and learned this all the hard way with a, with a mean professor that was saying, you know, know this or else you're never going to get anywhere in life. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, I always appreciate, uh, Darren, your, your sharing of your knowledge with us. And, uh, yeah, thank you. This was great. I love this, um, discussion about, about impedance. All right, All right. Well, I think that's about it for the topic of the week. Now we have come to the album of the week. Okay, so this week's album of the week is awesome. Um, so one of the things we try to do with our albums of the week is um, maintain a kind of diversity um, because we've got these libraries that are pretty pretty large um we're always paying attention to new stuff um we'll see not last week but the week before it was a brand new album so a lot of times um we're trying to look through brand brand new stuff but uh you pointed out that we hadn't had um an older album in a while yeah yeah and this is one that you added to my library when you were over and i was making that power cable you were listening to this and I've spent uh, the days since listening to this album because yeah. it's, it's awesome. It is, and I've I've had this album in my my library for so long. Like literally, I remember listening to this one in front of my system, uh, my first system I ever had. And so the album is uh, Lightning Lightning Hopkins. Yeah, and it's going going away. Yep, it's the name of it, and. Um, and it was recorded in 1963. Yep. It, it's a incredible recording. It's on um, title, not Cobuzz, by the way. Okay, yeah, good yep. to know. Yep. Um, and uh, and it's just fantastic. It is what you want the blues to be? Yeah, it's blues. It's it's Lightning Hopkins. It's it's old school. It's it's you know. It's real. You know, like this guy's real. not uh, you know, he's not faking. <laughs> Wake up, old lady. He's not a poser. You know, it's yeah, take, <laughs> it's a real that, deal. You know, hair wrap off your head. You know, yep. kind of thing. Um, there, there's some very interesting. You know, of of the times, kind of, kind of. Uh, I'd say storytelling in the lyrics. Um, you know, which which isn't as, as applicable today in terms of, I guess, the way our relationships go on. But it's so it's so authentic and legitimate. And then, it is, yeah. Exactly. And then also, yeah. it's just beautiful. It's uh, yeah, it recorded yeah. really, really well. Yeah, uh, it puts a warmth in your soul, you know, and so it's just... Um, you wonder about this mic that he has. And it's all mm-hmm. almost like, you know, when I listen back to our podcast, we have a lot of... Um, you know, I could get... I'll probably get windscreens at some point. I, I should probably already have done that but sometimes our p's and b's and our plosives as we call that in the industry what's your point yeah they 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 they're they kind of really boom and it's because you've got a ribbon mic uh, Mm -hmm. because you've got a really large diaphragm that's that's suspended on its ends only not not as a circular diaphragm that's suspended it it, it really affect uh bass really affects it and so actually when i listen to closely to this recording i think his vocals were recorded on a ribbon microphone Mm -hmm. you know and also you look at the time period 1963 and it probably was a ribbon Mm -hmm. microphone but that adds to the to the the warmth of this vocals and the and the realism that you get yep you know from 
this this album it's great yeah and it hasn't been uh it hasn't been pressed for a while i can't find a a current pressing you were looking but but, um, for our guys for our vinyl guys yeah and so yeah i've always wanted it um and i i probably have missed it before you know it was probably repressed or something like that and then missed it but um i'll let you guys know if it ever it ever ever comes back or um whether it's something that's queued up with um uh, analog productions or something like that. But this is one of the ones that, you know, I just, re- I really want this record. I really want it yeah. because it's, you know, it's, it's what you want as far as, you know, getting as close as you can to the master tape on something like well, you this. Got and, that. It's, it's so classic of what vinyl can give you where you've got that minimal instrumentation where the, the guitar starts and then the vocal just blasts out of the darkness and it's just like it's 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 comes out at you right i can yeah, and then, and then you're listening final. to the digital and you're like god i i wonder how bad this really is you know compared to the record i guess for me it's like wow this is better than a lot of digital recordings in terms of like um emotional effect on you based on those yeah. factors of like maintaining that dynamic range mm-hmm. so that the vocals can kind of pop out at you and you're just like whoa and and you made you know it's one of those things about about listening to music that i like to talk about where where you're made to feel smaller than the music you know yeah. in in this moment mm. because it's it's a really high dynamic range and mm-hmm. certain things will take you by surprise and certain yeah. things so, yeah exactly yeah yeah great i just recording. i just find uh, almost across the board with this type of music that when you get a great pressing it just blows away what's available yeah yeah, yeah. i'm sure um and so sure. uh and so you know uh this is a special special record if you haven't heard of it before um i've listened to it for uh many years and and it's always brought me joy. So um. yeah, we probably won't do a ton of the the older stuff just because we figured well, most people, you know, um, have a certain number of things. But th- yeah. there's certain ones that we want to like highlight, like this one where it's just like, if you don't have this, you got to have it in your life. Right, right. Yeah, we do try to introduce you know something that you've possibly never heard of before. So yeah, that's, yeah. So that's why yeah, we're we're not gonna put you know take five on the recommended. Uh, albums because we assume that many that have Dave Brubeck guy you know he yeah. he's onto something there's <laughs> that band has something it, has it, it factored yeah anyway, anyway. they might make it yeah they, um, might. they might but uh, but All anyways right. um, so yeah I think that's a Enjoy. it's a I think you guys will love this one if you haven't already enjoyed it yep going so. away by Lightning Hopkins yep okay well. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for the emails. If anyone uh, would like to be a part of the podcast or ask a question of us that we could answer on the podcast, send your emails to hi-fi at outlook.com. Our our albums are going to be... uh, Our featured album of the week is always featured on the website and the front page, but it's always in subsequent weeks. um, It will always be there on the albums page, so you can go there and and see what uh, we've uh, recommended before. But um, with that, this has been another podcast, another Hi-Fi podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And we'll catch you next week. See you guys. See you. Bye. The Hi-Fi podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor and is copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors. 